All right. Well, good evening. Good to be with you guys again. My name is Taylor Bradbury. I have the privilege of serving as the associate pastor at New City Church here on the city's near east side. Um, I've been here a number of times, so I recognize many of you. But again, if I have not met you, my name is Taylor. I have the joy of opening God's Word this evening um, with something that I think the Lord has laid on my heart. He's just been um, reminding me of these truths, and actually I'm going to be concluding our time together with John chapter 10, which serves as our call to worship, that was not coordinated. We didn't, we didn't plan that, and um, it was just an awesome way to open our time this evening. So, um, let's jump in. I, I'm not doing a traditional sermon in that I'm, I've, I've chosen one passage and we're going to dive deep into it. I have two texts, two passages of Scripture that I will read and then walk us through. Um, as we look at this amazing theme of persevering in faith. Persevering, continuing in our Christian life through loving encouragement. Um, I think this is God's way that He wants us to continue holding on to Him and to continue walking closely with Him is with the help of the person sitting around you, the people in this room. Giving and receiving, life-giving words. And so first, let me read for us John 13, verses 34 and 35, and then connected to that, Hebrews chapter 3, verses 12 through 14. So first, if you have a Bible and want to follow along with John 13, verses 34 and 35. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Hebrews chapter 3, verses 12 through 14. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. This is the word of the Lord. There came a day unlike any other, when earth's mightiest heroes were united against a common threat. On that day, the Avengers were born to fight the foes that no single hero could withstand. So opens the story of the Avengers. My family is a Marvel Universe fan, especially my older three children. And I've noticed that a major theme in the Marvel Universe, especially the latter movies and shows, is teamwork and dependence. Teamwork and dependence. They know that in the most recent you know, Avengers trilogy, it was to resist Thanos from taking over the world and wiping out half the universe. But having recently rewatched the movies, some of them with my, my wife, as an adult, I've noticed something larger on a more macro level when it comes to the universe of these superheroes, the Marvel storyline. Back in the day when the, the movie started to air, each Hero had his or her own movie. 
right? Starting with Iron Man, Captain America, those guys. They had their own movie. It was all about them as a hero, how they got their powers, how they stopped the bad guy, individuals. But as the story and as the universe has developed, more of the Avengers movies came out, the characters unite together as a team, knowing that they cannot ultimately resist evil and beat the bad guy or the bad gal by themselves. They cannot be ultimately victorious alone. They need one another. And ever since they've brought the Avengers together, the movies that have come out since about one particular superhero has often crossed over with the heroes from the other movies. Teamwork and interdependence is woven throughout the story. If you'll entertain me just a hair longer, the opening animated, there's an animated Avengers movie on one of the streaming services, again, yet a big hit in my family. The, uh, the theme song is kind of catchy, but it has these words in it. It says, fight as one. Our world is about to break, tormented and attacked, but now I am not alone. Always we will fight as one till the battle's won. With evil on the run, we will never come undone. Assembled, we are strong. Forever we fight as one. Now, if you've picked up on where I'm going, you're probably thinking in your head, is this man about to compare the church's mission with that of superheroes? Yes, you would be exactly correct. I am. But the comparison actually only breaks down because you, as Second Reformed Presbyterian Church, you as a local church, are more glorious. Your connection to one another more epic and your work more important than theirs. We, y'all, make up the church of Jesus Christ, intended to be a cosmic display of God's love for the world around us, to display His glory, and together you make up the most important institution in history. The Avengers ain't got nothing on you. Our texts this evening remind us, yes, of that connection, our one-anotherness of the Bible, especially of the New Testament. But our text also gives us the means by which we are to exist together. We exist together. What does it look like to be one another, to live a life of community, of teamwork? Well, it looks like John 13, verse 34 and 35. Love. Loving one another. And our second text also invites us and shows us what is it like to exist together in love? Answer, encouragement. God has given us a a God-ordained, inspired means by which we persevere in faith. A means by which we are to continue to love Him, and that is through the giving and receiving of mutual encouragement. So I just have one point for each of the passages. One point for tonight from John 13. One point from Hebrews 3. They are connected, and I will hope to unravel that for us as we go. But what I want us to see is first, love is a mark of those within the church and a display of God's glory to those outside the church. I'm getting this from John 13, these are Jesus' words in His final discourse before He goes to the cross for our sins. John 13, verses 34 and 35. Notice His his words in verse 34. 
A new commandment I give to you. He's speaking to his disciples before he goes. That you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. That's the call. That, that is what it is like to exist together. It's to love one another. And we're to do so as he loved us. Now, if you are a good Bible reader, in one sense, there, this isn't a new commandment. Love doesn't come out of nowhere. This is not novel. That we're to love one another. But what Jesus is doing here is giving it a new quality, a new virtue, a new purpose. It's not just love your neighbor as yourself. We're going well above and beyond that. Love one another as Jesus loves you. Oh, oh, that, okay. Now, it's probably important from the outset here to define love. There's a number of good definitions of love that I've come across through the years, but just for time's sake, I'll mention one. Pastor John Piper has put love this way. Love is a deep joy in God that overflows to meet the needs of others. I like that because it's simple, short, but I also like it because it starts with God. Any loving of one another starts with your posture toward God. Love begins with your contentment, your joy in Jesus. And when it comes to loving one another, it's that joy that you have in God that overflows to care for others, to love on one another, to meet the needs of one another, to be about others. Now this might be obvious or even redundant, but for us to love one another, there has to be a one another. For us to love one another, there has to be other people. Loving requires community. Love needs others to love and from whom we receive love. We don't love one another. We can't love one another by being isolated individual Christians off by ourselves on an island. We're a part of a family, hence all the New Testament images of the church. Body, temple, family, they're corporate components. As a matter of fact, most of the yous in the New Testament are y'alls. Together. A second observation I want to see, not only from, the, from John 13, is that love is a mark of those within the church. That is a deep joy that one has in Jesus that overflows to care for other people. But the second thing from John 13 is that this love is also a display to the outside world. I love verse... 35, Jesus' words, By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. It's a testimony to those outside these walls when they see us inside loving one another like Jesus loves us. And it makes sense, doesn't it? Our love for one another, our care for one another, being a testimony to those outside that we've been changed by the Gospel. Because there's no other reason, other than Jesus Himself, that a group of, of vastly different people would gather regularly to sing the praises of God, to, to hear the Word preached. Different socioeconomic classes represented, different colors, different ages, different ethnicities brought together every Lord's Day and throughout the week, gathering in homes, probably, to encourage one another. What can do that? 
Jesus. The church is made up of very different people. I know this church, this congregation, far less than my own. My own church is made up of vastly different people, different interests, hobbies. Some of you guys like running. Why? Weird. Different colors, different political views. Different opinions, ethnicities, tastes, diets, preferences, ages, backgrounds, economic statuses, and the list could go on. There is no other institution that can bring people together like that, together as one. The testimony, especially in our increasingly divided age in the world around us, how much more ought we be marked by love? The divisiveness and the fighting that's going on out there, usually in the realm of politics and everything connected to that, ought to be transcended by us in here because we're united not by our political stance, but by Jesus Christ crucified and risen. We can love one another well. The biblical love that Jesus is calling us to here is a sacrificial love, a costly love, a selfless and and self-denying love for brother and for sister. A love that puts the interests of others before our own. And when we do that, friends, we're magnifying the worth and the beauty of Jesus to the world around us. And it makes sense when we know the Gospel. The one who, quoting from Philippians 2, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied Himself by by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. That one, that Jesus, loved us and died for us, and now he calls us to love one another, to be gracious to one another, to care for one another. Those who know Christ and his wonderful yet terrible death as our substitute and for our sin, Those who see Jesus and His glorious resurrection for our justification, those united to Christ by faith, having been born of the Spirit, cannot help but love. And yet, we're a little slow to do so, aren't we? I know I am. Quick to withhold my love towards those around me, especially if you get on my naughty list, right? Whether it's my own pride or our busyness, our our failure to deeply grasp the gospel, we're often broken in our loves, aren't we? I feel this, the temptation to, to withhold my love from someone. Especially if they're maybe on a different political end of the spectrum from me. I, I as a pastor, I, I I especially feel this with those of faulty theological positions, in my estimation, of course, because I've got it all figured out. You believe that? Like, oh, oh, wow. No love for you. It ought not be so. Friends, if we discern a brother or sister, is exactly that, a brother or sister, in Christ, let us pursue love. Especially in a local church context. Loving one another, caring for one another. It starts with a joy in Jesus. That's what we're called to, and it makes sense when we know Jesus. 
and his love for us, and then it puts him on display to the unbelieving world. But the second thing, because we can stay pretty, pretty heady, hypothetical, when we're talking about just loving one another. Yeah, Jesus told us to, to love as he's loved us, but what does this practically look like? That's where I wanted to bring in Hebrews chapter 3, kind of just as an example of what it might look like. So that, that the first point that I had for us was that love is a mark of those within the church and a display of God's glory to those outside the church from John 13. But now my second point for us tonight is that encouragement is how we love. Er, encouragement is how we persevere in faith. It's the means by which we persevere in faith. Let me just read it again. Hebrews chapter 3. Take care, verse 12, brothers and sisters, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another. That's just the word encourage. But encourage one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. So next few moments we're going to be looking at this theme of of exhortation or, or encouragement. The giving and receiving of life-giving words. I'm a Hoosier native. I've been here my whole life. Born uh, in Indianapolis and my 30-some-odd years here in Indianapolis. I'm not a race fan, but you cannot be a Hoosier and live your whole life in Indianapolis without knowing all kinds of things about the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. Anybody else? The Indy 500, the, the NASCAR, the, uh, the Brickyard 400, all the other races that go on in our backyard. Um, again, I, I don't understand the race world, um, but I've been here my whole life, so I've lived through many of these races. I've gone to a couple. It's not my thing. But even before I went to my first race, especially in the NASCAR circles, because my in-laws love it, in the, in the NASCAR uh, circle, there was always a name that I knew, Jeff Gordon. Jeff Gordon, uh, one of the most winning NASCAR racers in the world. I found an interview with him, um, very fascinating for our Christian life. Now remember, uh, NASCAR is going 320 kilometers an hour. That's uh, roughly about 200 miles per hour. It's very fast. Jeff Gordon, who has won numerous races, including our Brickyard 400, 400, yes, um, was asked in an interview, how are you so good? How are you so good? The cars are just basically the same. Uh, the, the body weight of most of these racers, again, very close. Like, what makes you so good? Give us the secret as to how you're winning so many races. Jeff Gordon, why are you so good? I've, I often use this illustration because his response struck me. He gave away his secret. He did. You could do it. Jeff Gordon, to the question, how are you so good, he answered this way. Well, you either focus or you hit something really hard. Okay? You either focus or you hit something really hard. I'll take his word for it. And now, while I'm almost certain there's way more that goes into NASCAR racing than just paying attention, I do think it is an interesting place to start. Because I found that comment so insightful because it applies to our lives. And is it any wonder that the New Testament calls our walk with Jesus a race? And this applies to our own souls. We, brothers and sisters, must pay attention to the gospel as we run our race, or we too can hit something really hard. 
we ought to, by at this point, be asking ourselves, how is it that we prevent ourselves from wrecking? What has God given us to help us resist the temptation to hit something really hard? And I think that's where Hebrews 3 is coming underneath the encouragement of Jesus to love one another as He's loved us. Here's how you live. Here's what that love looks like in practical day-to-day life. Here's the primary means of your perseverance. Mutual encouragement. Encouraging one another. I would love to walk us through the entirety of Hebrews 3, but we just won't have time this evening. Verse 12, you notice there, it gets our attention. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil Unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. It's this, this, this opening attention getter. You need to, to pay attention. You need to focus. Use Jeff Gordon's words. You need to pay attention. You need to watch your own heart. Be aware of the condition of your soul. Hebrews 3.12 is kind of like a, a summation of Proverbs 4.23, which says, Keep your heart with all vigilance. Keep a careful watch on your heart, with all vigilance. But with our remaining time this evening, my, my, my goal is to get us to verse 13. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Here's what one way our love for Jesus works itself out in a community of believers through mutual Encouragement. As I mentioned when I was reading it the second time, that but exhort one another. Exhort there is just the same word translated encourage elsewhere. It's to come alongside and urge. To come alongside and encourage. And I think there's a, there's a healthy weight to feel here. You are the means by which someone else will persevere in faith to the end. Your words, your building up of another person is a real, down-to-earth, practical means by which someone else continues clinging to Christ. Talk about the weight of our words. Talk about the weight of our loving of one another. What are we to do? That's the word exhort. Encourage one another. When are we to do it? Hebrews 3 tells us, every day, as often as we can. Encourage one another every day, as long as it's called today. Do you have an opportunity to do it? Take the opportunity to encourage one another, because other people, you included, other people are a means by which you resist being hardened and deceived. Sin is tricky exactly because sin is deceptive. And other people around you often have better eyes to see your situation than your own eyes. I've never met anybody deceived who knew they were deceived. That's the point of deception. We need other people's eyes on our situations, on our hearts, on our lives to encourage us and to help us see things that we cannot see. This morning in the... uh, the morning worship services at my church, I had the privilege of preaching Revelation 2 and 3. You might know it, it's the seven churches in the book of Revelation. I'm not going to rehash the whole thing for you there, but what is striking to me actually is that, with the exception of Laodicea, they're a real mess. 
the other six churches all receive specific and pointed encouragement from the the risen Lord Jesus. And if you know those seven churches, some of them are a bundle of mess, sinning grossly against the Lord. And yet, the risen Lord Jesus, in the inspired text, takes time to identify marks of God's grace in their life. Yes, He corrects them. Yes, He rebukes them. Yes, He says, repent or I'm going to come like a thief in the night. But He takes pointed time to encourage them. And it's the pattern of the whole New Testament. I think of, of, of Corinth again. Paul's letter to, to Corinth, 1 Corinthians. If you've read that letter, you know, again, the church had some real blunders. Chapters 2 through 16 are basically rebuking them for much of their beliefs and practices. But what about chapter 1? The first half of 1 Corinthians chapter 1 is Paul encouraging them. I see this in you. I see that in you. I see God's grace at work in your life here and there, and he spends time encouraging them. Encouragement, brothers and sisters, is a God-ordained means by which we continue the Christian fight, the Christian walk. It's vitally important, and yet a definition here would also probably be helpful. I just recently came across this, this definition. You might know the pastor, Dr. Dane Ortland. He's written a very popular book, Gentle and Lowly, and a follow-up to it called Deeper. He's in um, my denomination of the PCA, um, very prolific writer. He's a pastor now in the Chicagoland area. But I was at uh, a conference for Bible nerds a couple weeks ago, two weeks ago, the Evangelical Theological Society. It was very comforting to be around a bunch of other Bible nerds talking about nerd, nerd things and reading papers. Literally, that's what we did. But at the Evangelical Theological Society, in one of the breakout sessions, Dane Ortland was talking about encouragement. And knowing that I was going to be preaching Revelation 2 and 3 this morning, and knowing that this was going to be a part of my message and encouragement to, to the Second Reformed Presbyterian Church, I dot, jotted down this definition. I can only hope and pray that it's going to be a part of a forthcoming book, probably published by Crossway, by Dane Ortland on encouragement. And he says this, Encouragement is that subset of Christian love that identifies specific marks of God's presence in the life of another Christian with words to that Christian without any sarcasm or joking. There's so much to unpack there. We don't have time for it, but you see how he's connecting encouragement to Christian love. Hebrews 3, built upon John 13. Encouragement is a subset of love one another as I have loved you. Encouragement is that subset of Christian love that identifies specific marks of God's presence in the life of another Christian with words to that Christian without sarcasm or joking. I'm not talking about flattery. Proverbs 26-28 warns against flattery. Why? Because in the parallel phrase of that proverb, flattery is a lie. We're not puffing one another up just for puffing up sake. We're not making general things up and and telling one another. No, no, no. Encouragement, biblical encouragement is specific. Identifying God working in the lives of those around you and around me and telling them with the hope of building up their faith. My application is, Here is simple. Do we see the value of that? Do we see the value of encouraging one another? 
I don't know about you, but I am still to this day holding on right now to encouraging words that I received from dear brothers and sisters. Years past. Holding on to it now, getting life from their words. That's how it ought to be in our lives. Let me give you just a quick sample of biblical text, just in case you're still unsure. Romans 12, verse 10. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. I might be mistaken, but I think that's the only passage in the New Testament where you're told to crush other Christians at something. Outdo one another. Do better than those around you at honoring one another. 1 Thessalonians 4.18 Therefore, encourage one another with these words. 1 Thessalonians 5.11 Therefore, encourage one another. Build one another up. My favorite, Ephesians 4.29 Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion. Don't miss this last phrase that it may give grace to those who hear. Your words have the potential to give grace to other people. Empowering grace. Your words can give life to your brothers and sisters by encouraging their faith, by getting their eyes off themselves and on to Jesus. Talk about a privilege, but talk about a responsibility. So brothers and sisters of Second RP, let us look. Let us look at those around us. Find ways to identify evidences of grace in one another when you see it. And take time to tell that person, I see God working in this way when you said this or didn't say this, when you did that or you didn't do that. Fight the temptation in your heart to, to fear it being possibly awkward. Fight against laziness in your own soul from finding marks in somebody else. If you cannot find uh, an evidence of God's grace in someone else's life that's a part of your church community, it's probably laziness on your behalf. Failing to take time to see it in other people's. Fight your busy schedule and your lack of time to offer and receive encouragement. Let us, to use the words of Hebrews 3.13, encourage one another every day, as long as it is called today. What we need and what second RP needs is brothers and sisters who have linked arms with one another saying, I'm I'm not going to make it through life without you. I need you. Let's go. Let's do this life together. I'm probably going to fall along the way and I'm going to need you to carry me. And when you fall, I'm going to pick you up because we're on this journey together. So in conclusion, we've looked at John 13, Jesus Encouragement, we could say, to us to love one another as He's loved us. It's a mark of our souls. It's also a witness to the world around us. And we've looked at Hebrews 3 where that love plays itself out in encouraging one another. The giving and receiving of life-sustaining words. We persevere through loving encouragement. We keep holding on to Jesus with the help of other people's words giving us grace. But as we hold on to Jesus, we know that the ultimate strength doesn't lie in how tight our grip is on Him. Although that is important. We must hold on. We must continue trusting in Him and entrusting ourselves to Him. 
But our security ultimately is not in how strong our grip on Jesus is. Our security is ultimately in how tight His grasp is of us. Taking us full circle back to our call to worship from John chapter 10. When Jesus says, My sheep know Me, and they follow Me. No one will snatch them out of My hand. Jesus loved you brothers and sisters, if you are in Christ by faith, He died for you, He rose from the dead for you, and now presently He reigns in glory, interceding for you. Yet for us to to reach glory, where our faith is turned to sight, we have to hold on, and we need other people to do so. Our texts tonight have reminded us of the means The good news of Jesus Christ empowers us to love one another through mutual encouragement. And through that loving encouragement, we help one another pay attention so we don't hit something really hard. Let me pray for us. Lord God, You are kind. I'm thankful for my brothers and sisters here at Second RP, and pray that You would remind us of Your Gospel. Jesus, You loved us by taking on flesh and becoming a human like us, yet fully divine. You loved us by dying in our place as our sins substitute on the cross. You triumphantly and glorious rose from the dead for our justification. And You are still for us interceding and praying for us in the presence of Your Father. Jesus, thank You. I pray for this church, for my brothers and sisters here, that we would now take that joy that we have in You and allow it to overflow and meet the needs of those around us. That we would give and receive mutual encouragement as a means by which we continue walking with You. Thank You for the joy, the privilege, and yet the responsibility that it it is to encourage one another. Be with us now as we continue to worship through singing and prayer and remind us of Your goodness and Your beauty. In Jesus' wonderful name, Amen.